Our sermon passage this morning is Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. You guys may be seated. Let's pray together. Father and our God, our prayer this morning is for you to speak to us through your word. Let us see Jesus, the risen King, and be filled with worship. Let us see Jesus, the risen King, and be filled with wonder and awe. Let us see Jesus, the risen King, and be filled with hope. Let us see Jesus, the risen King, and be compelled to tell others of his greatness. Let us be shaped by Jesus, the risen King. This is our prayer, O God. Would you accomplish it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28 that Ben just read for us. Um, Before the the service, Ben asked me, um, how'd the first service go? And I said, well, I was supposed to preach a mission sermon, and I preached an Easter sermon. But then I thought about it, and I'm okay with that. Because if you want the fruit of the resurrection without the the compelling call to go and tell, then you're wanting a selfish version of Jesus that doesn't exist. And if you want to go and tell without the power of the Savior who died and rose again, then all we have is just some mere acts of love that will last for a day. So mission and resurrection go together, and that's our challenge this morning. 
You know, missions talk in the church has almost become cliche. Mission, go, give, grow. Disciples who make disciples. Replication. These words have become so used that we kind of think we don't need to listen. And so my challenge this morning is to speak to us about God's mission in such a way that we'll be captivated by God. So rather than trying to be clever, which I'm no good at anyway, we're just going to go back to the very basics. What is the foundational impulse for mission? And this is the foundational impulse for mission. God. God's mission is carried out through God's people like me, empowered by God's Spirit. God's mission is carried out through God's people like me, empowered by God's Spirit. Now, our main focus this morning will be the last five verses of this chapter, but I ask that the whole chapter be read because I believe this is one of those places where a broader understanding of the passage is so helpful to us. Because here's what we see. The call to mission in this passage, and by mission I mean the call to join God in his movement to take the gospel outward to those who are separated from him. So the call to join God in his movement to take the gospel outward to those who are separated from him, this call in this passage lies between two glorious truths. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and put right between those two truths is go and make disciples. And I think the wording is important because what it's saying to us is, is we don't get to separate them. It all goes together. The call to Jesus and the call to go are one and the same. The call to Jesus and the call to make disciples are one and the same. The call to worship deeply and the call to, to go and sacrifice greatly are one and the same. And that is the impulse that I want to lay before you from this passage today. So if you're a note taker, our first point is a renewed hope. A renewed hope. Now, language like a renewed hope insinuates that hope had been lost and it needed to be renewed. And that is precisely where chapter 28 begins. We know the end from the beginning, right? Yeah, we know Jesus died, but we also know on the third day he rose. But in those three days, that space between chapter 27 and chapter 28, the disciples weren't remembering that he would rise again. And so we enter chapter 28 within a context of grief, sorrow, confusion, and doubt. Grief over his death, sorrow over the loss of a friend and a leader and a king. Confusion over what this meant about his mission and his ministry and his teaching. Doubt about what do we do? Doubt about we left everything to follow him and now he's dead. This passage begins with questions like, were we wrong to follow Jesus? What do we do with his teaching? What do we do with his mission? 
What do we do with our own lives? What do we do with our hurts and our emotions? Where do we turn now? So before we plunge in to go and sacrifice it all for the glory of Jesus, fear not, we're going to get there. But before we plunge there, I just want you to know that as a pastor, I'm very aware that grief and sorrow and confusion and doubt and what's next, those type questions, they reign in many of our hearts and minds today. I know that. I know that. And the message here about the risen Savior is the message that catapults all of us forward. So what's the message of, chapter 20, of Matthew chapter 28? In short, it's this. Jesus is alive. And that changes everything. Jesus is alive and that changes everything. So he appeared to the women on the third day who came to see his tomb. And he said, the angel said, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has risen As he said. What an important three words. As he said, it's this resounding, you can trust him. It's this resounding, he accomplishes everything that he promises. Come see the place where he lay, because he's not there. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him. See, I have told you. So the living Jesus is calling his disciples to Galilee to see him. And when they get there on the mountain where he had directed them. If you want to have a little intellectual geeky fun this afternoon, go study why they knew which mountain to go to. Just leave that there for you. I'm on a limited timeline this morning. But they went there. And look at verse 17 with me. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Remember, I said grief, sorrow, confusion, doubt, they were reigning. So much so that some of his 11 closest followers saw his resurrected being and they doubted. Literally, it, said, it means they, they hesitated. They were unsure. They didn't know what to do. So some worshiped, meaning they saw the glory of the resurrection, they embraced Jesus as the redeeming king, and they celebrated it. And others hesitated because they didn't know what to do with this reality. And here's what I want you to notice this morning. The worshipers and the doubters got the same response. Do you know what it was? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
So if you respond to the risen king in worship, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, meaning not an ounce of power, not an ounce of ability, not an ounce of the ability to carry out the keeping of my word to my sheep has been restrained. It's mine and it will be mine forevermore. And you can continue to trust me and continue to delight and continue to worship because I am the reigning king. I am alive. And as we learned last week, Psalm 47 says you can even emote over that. Little inside joke, we're the subdued church here at Redeemer. But it says some doubted. They were unsure. You know, Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't call them stupid. He doesn't rub their nose in it or question them. He gives them the same gospel pronouncement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so I don't want to diminish the, the power or the pain of grief, sorrow, confusion, and doubt, but I have to say that the way forward is through the risen king. And when he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, what he's saying is everything about this world has fundamentally changed because I have defeated death. Amen. Throughout the scripture, there's a theme that sin and death are tied together. Romans 5 verse 12 says it this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Do you hear that? Sin entered the world before death. Sin caused death. So what's the only way to defeat death? To defeat sin. And so when the risen Jesus stands and he says, I'm alive and I've defeated death, what's implied for that is the fall is undone. Sin is defeated. There's life evermore in my name and I will guide you safely home because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So friends, the main truth this morning is that Christ is real, Christ is true, and Christ is trustworthy. And the question for us this morning is, will we entrust ourselves to him? Christ is real, Christ is true, and Christ is trustworthy. So the real question is, will we entrust ourselves to him? So those of us who enter today belonging to Jesus and filled with worship, let us celebrate because following him is the greatest and best endeavor ever. Those of us who enter today knowing Christ, redeemed in Christ, but still unsure about how to go forward for today and tomorrow, let us look to him because he has promised he'll guide us safely home. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And those of us who just genuinely don't know, we just genuinely don't know what we believe. We just genuinely don't know where to turn. We just genuinely don't know what to do. I just ask you this, will you genuinely seek Jesus? Just say this, God, if you're there, would you show me how Jesus is the answer to my sin, my death, and everything that dwells and holds me down? 
Jesus, would you show yourself to be a real, true, and trustworthy Savior in my life? Help me. And if you need help in that wrestling, I would love to talk with you about that. One of the things I love so much about what God's done in this church over the last 24 months is the number of people that are coming into these gatherings who are genuinely stuck over here with, I don't know what to do with Jesus. And the answer is not to get all the answers. The answer is to trust him. I'd love to help you trust him. A friend and I have been reading, rereading John Stott's book, Basic Christianity. And early in the book, he says this, it isn't long before we realize that to find God and to accept Jesus Christ is a very inconvenient experience for most people. It would involve us rethinking our whole outlook on life and lead to major changes in the way we live. Such a combination of intellectual and moral cowardice makes us hesitant. We do not find because we do not seek. And the truth is that we do not seek because we really don't want to find. And the best way to be certain that we won't find is to decide against looking in the first place. Now look, the gospel is God sought us first. The gospel is someone brought the gospel to us. We didn't find it. But the Bible also says we must respond to Jesus. And I just compel you, will you seek after him today? Because I believe he'll show himself to be real, true, and trustworthy because he's the living Lord. Now, those of you that are like, all right, dude, it's not Easter, it's missions month. Everything about mission begins with the risen Jesus. Everything about salvation, everything about the kingdom, everything about the church begins with the risen Jesus. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians, if he didn't arise, what in the world are we doing here today? That's the Mosley uninspired version, okay? But that's pretty much what it says. But the passage also tells us that to have Jesus is to be a part of the mission. To have Jesus is to be a part of the mission. So the second point, if you're a note taker, is a renewed mission. A renewed mission. Notice what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So what Jesus says is, I've got the authority and now I'm sending my people to carry out the work that I did on the earth. The mission of Jesus goes forward through the people of Jesus empowered by the spirit of Jesus. So what Jesus is saying is, if you know me, I'm sending And, and there's this strange thing in Southern cultural evangelicalism that I just can't get my mind around. Like, there's lots of strange things about Southern cultural evangelicalism that I can't get my mind around, but I digress. Um, but the strange thing is that this idea of missions, like we, we make it like extra credit in math class. Like for the people that just really can't settle for a B. We make it like icing on the cake. We make it like... Um, discretionary income. You know, if you have a little bit left over at the end of the month, you can go do some mission stuff. 
But that's not the vision that's being laid out in this passage. I'm alive. I have all authority. Go and make disciples. I'm with you to the end of the age. There's no space for backing out in there. So the the mission is renewed because the king is alive. And the mission looks like two things. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. So the mission is God's work to build a people who know him, belong to him, serve him, and enjoy him from all nations. I'll say that one more time. The mission is God's work to build a people who know him, belong to him, serve him, and enjoy him from all nations. Missions is our engagement with God in his mission. It's his mission. He's calling us into it. And he says we come into it with these two imperative words, go and make disciples. So let's take those in turn. The word go is a word of direction and intentionality. It means go. So you can go take four sem- uh, semesters of Greek and seminary and open your Greek Bible to learn that the word go means a work of direction and intentionality. Or you can take the shortcut like me and spend too much money for Logos Bible software and hover your mouse over the word go and learn that in the Greek, it means with direction and intentionality. So go certainly includes Cambodia, but it starts here. You see, they didn't have airplanes back then where you could just take off from BNA and land in a place and say, I'm going to the nation's. Because to get from here to there is to pass all the things in between. Let's just say that I wanted you to go watch the Super Bowl in person tonight, and I have tickets to give you. Well, number one, you better hurry, okay? But number two, if you're going to drive to Miami, I'm sending you to Smyrna, and then to Murfreesboro, and then to Chattanooga, and then to Atlanta, all of Georgia's Atlanta for me, okay? And then to the Florida-Georgia line, which is not only a bad band, but a real place, and then to Orlando, and then all the way to Miami. I'm sending you to all those places. Go is not about destination. It's about intentionality, and it's about purpose. It's about taking the gospel intentionally. So you can move to Cambodia and not actually go, and you can walk across the street and go because the essence of go is intentionality. Does that make sense? So I hope that next year some of y'all aren't here anymore because God sent you to Cambodia to go with the gospel and build the kingdom. But I also hope that next year, this room is filled with 30 new people who got loved all around this area by us who went. I was going to say goad, but that's not English. <laughs> who, who went with intentionality and direction. Go does not happen accidentally. And go does not happen by default. But I can promise you this. Jesus is looking at the 11 people who knew him more than anyone else who's ever walked the face of the earth, humanly speaking. And you know what he's saying? Don't huddle up and make scrapbooks about your time with me. He's saying, go and let others know me through you. 
So let me prove that you believe and go. Did anybody here know Jesus personally when he walked the face of the earth? Anybody? Anybody? We sure? No one wants to claim that. All right, so you're a part of the kingdom because the 11 went. And then they made disciples who went. And they made disciples who went. And they made disciples, and I'm not going to play this out because it would take a long time to get to us. But the point is, we believe in the go of the mission because that's how we receive Jesus. And he's saying go to. Go to do what? Go to make disciples. A disciple is a follower of a teacher. And the work of discipleship is pointing people to Jesus in such a way that they trust him, they follow him, they love him, and they sacrifice everything for him. That's the work of making disciples. Now, I want you to hear me clearly, because this is where sometimes our, our churchy talk jumbles us up, okay? Are we, is missions about evangelism or discipleship? Yes. See, if the goal is to intentionally make disciples, then the only difference between evangelism and discipleship is to whom you're speaking. Because to those who are far from God, we say, you need a savior and his name is Jesus. Know him, love him, and come to him, right? And to those who walk with the Lord, we say, your sin is still a problem. Jesus is still your only answer. Know him, love him, walk with him. We call one evangelism. We call one discipleship, but they're all the work of the Great Commission. And the go is saying, don't just huddle up and do it here, but go outward and make sure that others are coming to know him. So when you put go with make disciples, we get the mission. We get missions. We get what God is calling us to do. The work of the mission is to be carried out through those who know Christ as they go and as they make disciples. Now, I know what time it is, and the Super Bowl doesn't start till five, so we're good. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're gonna keep coming back to this for the next few weeks. Actually, next week's sermon is about how do we go way over there? And the sermon in two weeks is about how do we go right here? Right here, how do we go right here? Um, and then I'm going to come back in three weeks, and in very practical ways, I'm going to challenge all of us. What does it look like to become the laborers who, take, who go out into the fields for harvest? So, so a lot of the practicality is coming, but for today, I want you to see that to know the risen Christ is to be commissioned for the mission of bringing others to Jesus. Go and make disciples. But what does that making disciples look like? Point three, a replicating goal. Some of the evangelical buzzword has become making disciples who make disciples and again, but we've already shown that that actually is the vision. So he says, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So disciple making is boiled down in this passage to these two words, baptizing and teaching to obey. Baptizing and teaching to obey. Baptism in the scripture is an act of being plunged underwater and raised up as a way of representing conversion to Jesus, 
faith in Jesus, new allegiance to Jesus, and new life to Jesus. Baptism doesn't save, but baptism pictures and symbolizes a person being transformed by the risen Christ. And so the mission of making disciples calls men and women and boys and girls into a conversion type relationship with Christ where we are brought to be his children forever and show allegiance to him forever by the power of his spirit. The act of disciple making is calling people to identify with Jesus. And the act of disciple making is never over because it calls us to teach people to obey all that Jesus commanded. The two important words there are to obey. It doesn't say teach them everything I commanded. It says teach them to obey everything that I commanded. So you see, the goal of discipleship is not for me to convey facts to you. The goal of discipleship is for me to convey theology and truth to you that moves you to live wisely in God's world. I'm a, I'm a 10-year-old youth baseball coach. So what that means is my work is 49% herding cats, 49% dealing with parents' complaints, and 2% teaching kids. But in my 2%, here's the thing. I love philosophical things about how the biomechanics of the body play out in baseball. I listen to podcasts about the best way to leverage the hinge and the spring of the body so that a 10-year-old can mash a baseball. I read books about it. I watch YouTube videos about it. But you know, when I go hang out with the 10-year-olds, we don't have a whiteboard and give physics lectures. We teach them to hit. And come March the 7th, when we have our first game, the proof will be in the pudding of how they hit. Now hear me. Physics matters because physics tells us how the body works. And biomechanics matters because it teaches us how to leverage the truth of the physics into little kids. But the work with the kids is to get them to hit. And I think there's a parallel to what Jesus is saying here. Theology certainly matters because God is and what's true about God matters and false realities about God will will send us down false paths of living. And then understanding how to move from theology into ethics and what it means to live for God matters. But taking all those deep questions is intended to move into wisdom where we know how to live out everything that God would call us to do. See, discipleship is about your brain and it is about your will, but it's also about getting moving for a life wholly devoted to Jesus. Am I pro-theology? Yes. Am I pro-ethics? Yes. But I'm also pro all those things moving us into wisdom and action and living for the glory of God. Because the passage says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. The mission of God is to build a people to know him, 
belong to him, serve him, and enjoy him from all nations. To belong to Christ is to say, I join the mission. Who here feels inadequate for that? All you, should go, you should go two hands in the air, crazy charismatic, sweaty pits, all that, right? Inadequate, okay. You can even clap while you're up there, all right? We do, we do the one and the three or the two and the four. How are we doing this? It doesn't matter, okay. All right. God knew that too. And this is why he promised to help us. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The power for the life on mission is the God who is with us to the end of the age. And remember, the God who's with us to the end of the age is able to do all things because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And buried right between those two huge gospel promises is our calling to be a part of the work of building the kingdom. So I want you to believe that God is with you in all things, but particularly and most evidently, he is with us when we join him in going to make disciples. One of the greatest joys of my ministry are those times where one of you calls me for help. Pastor, so-and-so's happened. I need to meet with you. And what you don't know is I drive to the meeting place and I literally sit in my car and I turn it off and I pray something like this. This happens about three times a month. Lord, I have no idea what to do when I get in there but I believe you've called me. And I believe that you want me to represent you and your word and your church and your kingdom in there. So I pray that you'll help me. And then I go in and the person's like, hey, can you tell me how to become a Christian? Sure. Didn't know we were just gonna dive in. But the point is, or, hey, I've made a train wreck of my marriage and I, I, I know I need to repent. Would you just pray with me? Like, see, I thought we were gonna spend the whole week trying to convince you that you made a train wreck, but you're just ready to repent. Like, like, God did that. I don't do that. And that's the clear, tangible evidence of he is with us always, particularly when we're about the work of building his kingdom. So I, the practicality's coming. Those of you who are like, pastor, give me something tangible. Here it is. This week, I want you to ask God to convince you that he will use you, even you, in his mission. Ask God to get, cause you to care about his mission. I believe he'll answer that prayer. And then let's be a people who are so enthralled with the living Savior that we can't bottle it up. So, Father... Would you speak to your people today from your word? Whatever's true and right and good that's been said today, would you cause it to resound in your church? Congregation, as we do each week, at this time, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. Jesus commissioned this meal to us. We're gonna take a piece of bread symbolizing his body broken for us. We're gonna take a cup symbolizing his blood poured out for us. As we take them, what we're saying is, 
I know Christ and Christ knows me and I am his forevermore and I am eager to join him in what he's doing in the world. And as we take these these elements, we're reminded of our secure place in his kingdom and we're reminded of his love for those who are far away. So here at Redeemer, we invite anyone who's a follower of Jesus, who's repented of sin and made that known to the church, we invite you to take this bread and take this cup with us. If you're not a follower of Christ, we would ask kind of upon his word that you let the bread and the cup pass. But, but this might be the day that, that you see him as the living Savior. Consider Jesus as we sing and as the elements are passed out. I'll come back in a few minutes and we'll take them together.